So we are going to be in the book of Ruth today. Um, a little kind of heads up on where we are and why we are looking at Ruth today. So we've been in this sermon series entitled The People of God, looking at these prominent figures from the Old Testament, uh, most of whom we're familiar with their names, at least Abraham and Moses and David. And we're looking at how each of these characters' stories is really coming together to tell one bigger story, that David's story really isn't about him and Saul's story isn't really about him and Abraham's story isn't really about him, that all their stories are kind of collectively coming together to tell one redemptive narrative through the whole Old Testament. Now, the indirect misconception from taking this approach to the Bible is to think then, well, my story doesn't count unless I'm one of those big names. Right, so far we've looked at key leaders, we've looked at prophets, we've looked at kings, and the misconception could be then, well, that's, that's the only one through whom God works his story of redemption. Since I'm not a king, I'm not a key leader, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the preacher, I'm not an elder, then I'm just an ordinary person, so my story doesn't count. So we're gonna take a step back and we're actually gonna go backwards in time to the story, to the time of the judges. So before David, before Saul, we encounter the story of Ruth. And today we're gonna to see how God's redemptive story is being written, not just through the prominent kings and prophets and leaders, but through every person's life. The story of Ruth is a short story. It's four chapters long. It's a fantastic love story. Um, it's known uh, by literary critics outside of Christianity as one of the best short stories ever written. We know it um, as part of God's holy word. It's the story of Ruth. And so just a little background on the story of Ruth to kind of get us set up. So there are a couple of things that come into play in the story um, that if you don't know these things, it won't fully make sense. The first of which is there was a law among the Hebrew people known as the law of the kinsman redeemer. Okay, and this law came into effect all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, where God made a law, um, and, and basically the law was this, here's a summary of it. If a man passed away and left his wife as a widow, the kinsman redeemer law was one that said the nearest of kin, his nearest of kin could step in and essentially bring her and whatever children there were into his household to be cared for. Okay, and usually that would be like a brother. So if I was married and I passed away um, my, and I had a brother, my brother could be my kinsman Redeemer, right? He would bring my wife and children into his home to take care of them, to raise those, chi those children. However, whenever my heir got old enough, uh, he would go back to my land and he would take my inheritance and he would pick up my name and carry on the lineage. And so it was like this temporary step in to redeem a situation that the family name and inheritance and land would pass on. Now, another part of this is the idea of how land worked for the nation of Israel. So when the 12 tribes of Israel settled in the promised land, land was divided among the 12 tribes, among the families. And so the land was meant to stay in the family. Okay, and so, there, so if land was purchased, if you found somebody who had land for sale and you bought it and they weren't a family member, what would happen is that in the year of Jubilee, that land would go back to them. So it was like leasing or renting land, right? And so... According to the law though, if I was gonna step in as a kinsman redeemer, I would have to purchase that land from the widow so she would get that money. But then again, when the heir got old enough, I would give them the land and the inheritance back. And so it would cost me money essentially to bring them into my household. 
Okay, they would get the land. However, if there was no heir, then I would get to keep the land. I would get to keep the inheritance and the possessions. And now that lineage would become part of my lineage and that name would be forgotten. And so that's an important part of the story. Now, the book of Ruth begins um, with a story of Naomi. Uh, Naomi was a Hebrew uh, woman. Her and her husband, uh, Elimelech, uh, during a time of famine and drought um, in Israel, decided to move to the land of Moab where things were a little bit more productive. So there was, there was starving uh, going on in the nation of Israel. People were going without. There wasn't a lot of food. So they travel to the land of Moab where there is rain, there, is, uh, there are crops, there's food to eat, and there's plenty. Well, while they are there, uh, Naomi and her husband, they have their two sons with them. Uh, their two sons marry Moabite women, women who are native to that region. Well, after a period of time, Naomi's husband dies, Elimelech. Now, we could start talking about kinsman and redeemer, but remember, they're in a foreign land. There are no kin anywhere. And so Naomi there now, she's the matriarch of the family. She's there with her two sons and her two daughters-in-laws. They continue to live. Well, after another period of time, both of her sons end up dying leaving three widows. One Israelite, Naomi, with two Moabite uh, daughters-in-laws. And so this is where we're gonna pick up the story. Uh, in Ruth chapter one, Naomi comes to her daughters-in-law and says, listen, <laughs> this is, we haven't done well. So I'll tell you what, I'm gonna go back to my kin because she knows there may be a relative there who could redeem her. You guys go back to your kin as Moabite women and I will see you later. Let's just count our losses and let's walk away. Well, there are two daughters-in-law. Uh, Orpah was one of them. And so she said, hey, thank you for blessing me. Thank you for allowing me to go back to my family. I'll see you later. But Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, clung to Naomi. She refused to go back to her people, to her way of life, to her native gods. And this is where we'll pick this up in Ruth chapter one, verse 15. Here is Ruth's response to Naomi telling her to go back to her people. And she said, that's Naomi, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave, to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. What an oath. And then look at what she says. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried and may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no, more. What a beautiful oath Ruth makes to Naomi. Naomi, I'm going with you. Your people, they're my people now. Your God, he's my God now. There's no going back to the people of Moab. I'm going with you. And nothing but death shall part us. And should anything else cause me to walk away from you, may that happen to me and even more. I'm with you. What a beautiful portrait of a covenant oath. And we could stop here and talk about marriage. There's a lot of implications here about what it means to make a covenant oath with someone. 
But here we have this relationship between a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. And the daughter-in-law says, I'm with you. I'm yours now. I'm going with you. So what happens is Naomi, she packs up whatever things she has. Uh, Orpah has gone back. She takes Ruth and they travel back to Bethlehem. Well, when she gets there, she runs into people who haven't seen her in a long time, right? And they're running up to her, Naomi, what's going on? Let's catch up. And she, she doesn't even want to recount the whole story of all that has happened. She just simply says, hey, don't call me Naomi anymore. It's not who I am. After all that I've been through, all the loss I've suffered, I've lost a husband, I lost two sons. Just call me Mara, which means bitter because I'm not the same woman I used to be. And so even though she's coming back home to a place where there should be hope, she's coming back home without a whole lot of hope. Well, she brings Ruth with her and they settle back down there in Bethlehem. And so there's another um, part of the story uh, that we're about to encounter. And this has to do with the agricultural economy of the day. Um, see, there were uh, most of the culture, uh, the economy was agriculture. And so harvesters would go out into the field. They would gather up um, whatever it was. At this particular time, it was barley. They would bale it up and bring it into the storehouse to the threshing floor. And, and, and from there then, uh, they would move it forward until it was usable. Well, along the way, as you can imagine, small pieces fell around the field and on the trail and at the threshing room floor. And so there was this thing called gleaning. Um, now, this meant that simply you would just come and gather up what was dropped, the little particles and little pieces, until you had enough to make a meal. This is similar to what um, would happen in the American gold rush. So uh, during the American gold rush, these little boom towns would, would just explode, and there wasn't a whole lot of money, but they had a lot of gold, and so they would buy and sell and trade gold in the shops and uh, at the tavern, and they would purchase land with gold. And what would happen is they were, they were trading gold, and gold dust particles were falling on the ground. And so the storekeepers, a lot of them, the way they would make extra income, uh, or even like the, the homeless, they would come and sweep the floor at the end of the night and run all that through this process and pull out what little bit of gold there was just to scratch by and to have enough to put together a meal. It's the same process called gleaning. And so Ruth comes to Naomi and said, listen, can, can I have your permission to go out into the fields and glean? Maybe I could gather up enough food for us to at least get us by for a while until we figure something else out. And so Naomi sends Ruth out into the fields of Boaz to begin to glean. Now, Boaz isn't there when she first goes out. So she's out there, uh, Ruth is out there among all the other gleaners and the servants and people working the harvest. And she's, she's waiting for somebody to clean an area. And when they move out, then, then the gleaners would step in and kind of pick through and try to find something to eat. Well, Boaz comes home from traveling and he sees all that's happening. And he says to his workers, hey, who, I don't recognize her, who is she? And so they tell him, hey, that's Ruth. That's the one we heard about. This is the daughter-in-law of Naomi, uh, the one who just would not leave Naomi and go back to her people and to her gods. She clung to Naomi. She's come back to Bethlehem. And so Boaz was really impressed with Ruth. He said, man, what, what a character this young lady has. And so he calls her over and says, listen, I, I know who you are and, and I know what you're doing here. Um, you're free to glean, but more than that, uh, what I wanna do is I wanna give you permission. If you get thirsty while you're out here, see how my hired workers are going over here to draw water? You're free to go draw water there. And not only that, I wanna send you home with some extra food today to take back to Naomi. And we begin to see this kind heart of Boaz as he understands the hopelessness of their situation and he wants to love them well. And so he sends her home. And so 
So Ruth comes home to Naomi, and she's like, wow, you did good gleaning out there today. She said, well, Boaz was there, and I was gleaning in his fields, and he was so kind to me. He showed favor to me, and he, he blessed me and sent me home with all of this. And so then Naomi begins to think about this law of the kinsman redeemer. And so in chapter three, which is where we'll, we'll pick this um, back up, um, here's what's gonna happen. Um, so there's this, this kind of process of making yourself available to somebody um, that would happen. And so Naomi pulls Ruth aside and says, okay, here how, here's how this is gonna go down. This may sound a little weird, but here's what I want you to do. See, what you understand is Boaz is actually one of our kin. He's qualified to be a kinsman redeemer and he's already showing kindness to us. So maybe, just maybe, he'll take us in. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get dressed up, put on some perfume, take a shower, bathe. And then here's what I want you, I want you to put a cloak on so that nobody can recognize you. And I want you to kind of slip into um, the, the harvest area. And at nighttime, when Boaz, pay attention where he goes to sleep. And then once he's asleep, I want you to go lay down at his feet. Just lay down there and go to sleep. Well, what do I do next? What's gonna happen next? Don't worry about it. Boaz will give you instructions. He will respond to you in the right way. Now think about this, right? This is kind of a sketchy situation, right? You got Boaz, bachelor number one, right? He's doing really well. He's got this harvest and workers and service. He's really kind, but he goes to sleep. And now you've got this woman all dressed up and She's young, and so she comes in and she lays down at his feet. And so there's a couple different responses we could expect from Boaz. He could, he could wake up and just reject her altogether. What are you doing here? Get out. You know, that's not what I meant by those gifts I offered to you. He could take advantage of her, or at least try to. Or a third option is that he could recognize that he is her kinsman redeemer. And so we'll pick the story back up in chapter three in this scene, verse six. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So she's posturing herself in humility as a servant at Boaz's feet. And at midnight, the man, Boaz, was startled and he turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. So this caught him off guard. He wasn't expecting this. And so he says, it's dark and she's wearing the cloak. Who, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. And look at this phrase, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Now we could do a, a word study on what this means to, to have wings spread open, to be together underneath wings. God himself is described this way in the Old Testament. He gathers us to himself like an eagle gathers her chicks under her wings to protect them and to cover them and to care for them. And that's the imagery here. And she says to Boaz, you are my kinsman redeemer. Spread your wings over me. Call me to yourself, draw me in, protect me, care for me, call me your own. What a beautiful portrait 
of God himself. And so in verse 10, he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, which he's comparing what she's doing now to what she did for Naomi, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. You didn't do what most young women would do in your place. They would go look for the wealthy guy, right? The guy who has a lot to offer. You came to me, Boaz, kind of an older guy, right? You could have gone after the, the latest thing, the, the, the good looking guy, the guy who has it all together. Instead, you, you came here to me. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true, I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. So we'll stop for a minute. Here's what Boaz is recognizing. You know what? It is true. I'm in the lineage. I'm qualified to be a kinsman redeemer. However, there is somebody closer than me who gets first right of refusal. I'm not going to thwart his position and go behind his back. So here's what he says. Remain tonight. You can sleep here and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Now, not only are we seeing a lot and learning a lot about Ruth and Naomi's situation, we're beginning to see the character of this guy, Boaz. Not only is he kind, he's a man with integrity, doesn't take advantage of Ruth in the middle of the night, but he recognizes, you know what? I could do this deal right now and just cut out that other kinsman. But he says, what? You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna operate honestly. Somebody else actually gets first right of refusal. If he chooses to redeem you, then, then good. I'll consider it good. However, if he won't, I'm willing to do this. And so what happens next is in chapter four, um, Boaz is gonna call a meeting with the other relative who's closer than him and the city elders. And, and he's gonna find out if this other, this other kin, this other relative is gonna step in as the redeemer or not. And so the opening of chapter four, uh, verse one, we read, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Now, most of the official business of the city happened at the gates. Okay, this is where the elders would gather to make decisions. And so what Boaz is doing, he's calling together this, this meeting. He sees the relative come by. He says, hey, 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 can I borrow you for a minute? I need to talk with you. Come have a seat. And then he grabs 10 elders and said, hey, I need you guys to come here and witness this. I need you guys to have a seat. And so he sets the scene now. So we'll pick this up uh, in verse three of chapter four. So then he, Boaz, said to the redeemer, the other relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, 
tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. Okay, so here's the scene. Very, we've already talked about this. He calls the elders. He calls the relative in. He says, okay, here's the situation. Naomi is back from Moab. She's a widow. You're the, the closest relative. If you want, you can purchase her land, bring her into your home as your, your kinsman redeemer, right? And then, and then from there, uh, you get to carry on her, the inheritance of Elimelech. It's all yours. Here's the catch, though. This is a... Is a is a two-generational a, a, um, a two situation because who lives in the household of Naomi? Another widow, right? And so, right, so if Naomi comes into your house, so does Ruth. Now, here's why that matters because remember, Na- Naomi is up in age. And so if it's just Naomi, this is a pretty sweet deal for the relative. So I can purchase the land at a good price. I bring Naomi into my home. I care for her until she dies. And basically I get all of Elimelech's stuff done. That's easy. And so Boaz says, oh yeah, 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 but there's another part to this. You get Ruth too. Now remember, Ruth is young. She can still bear children. This is now a risky proposition because if she bears an heir, what happens to all that stuff? It goes with the heir back to Naomi. And so Boaz is going over this with the relative. In verse Five, then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So that means, right, if Ruth has an heir, that heir carries on the family name of Elimelech and gets everything. The Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So now that he stands to lose something, he's out. Okay? I'm not interested. You know what? You do it, Boaz. I am not interested, because if she has a son, I'm going to lose all that, right, for the sake of my kin, and I'm not interested. Now, there was another law, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, um, down around verses seven through nine, there was a law that said that if the kin denied his right, he had to give you his sandal. It's kind of strange. But in this day and time, the sandal was incredibly symbolic, right? Because it went on the foot and wherever you stood was considered to be your land, right? And so like when Moses is before the burning bush, what does God say? Hey, take off your sandals, humble yourself. Why? Because you're not standing on your land, you're standing on holy ground, and so the law said that if I'm the kin and the relative comes to me and says, hey, will you redeem me? And I don't want to, I have to take off my sandal as a sign of humility, give it to her. And I've got to leave the meeting with one sandal on, right? So I'm hobbling through town in my humility and everybody's looking at me knowing that I'm disgraced and publicly shamed. On top of that, the, wid- the widow, before he left the room, walked up to him and spat in his face. It's part of the law. <laughs> now, what, that helps us understand what's about to take place. So listen, verse seven. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he just went ahead and took off his sandal. He drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, 
You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion, which is one of her sons, and the other son, Malon. Also Ruth the Maobite, the widow of Malon or Malon. I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. We're gonna come back to that in just a moment. So now the relative leaves this meeting in shame, public humiliation, right? Why? Because he was not willing to self-sacrifice for the sake of Naomi and Ruth. He was only in it as long as something was, was in it for him. But as soon as this became a selfless thing, he was out. And so now Boaz is the next in line and he's gonna step in as the kinsman redeemer and selflessly, right? We've already seen his kindness. We've already seen his integrity, his honesty. And now we're gonna see his self-sacrifice as he says, you know what? To the witnesses who are here, he refused it. I'll take them. I'll step in and I'll do this. I will redeem Naomi and Ruth. Now, we're gonna sum up the story in the, in the remaining part of chapter four, starting in verse 11. And what's gonna flow from here is, this, is, is we're gonna see how this story about Ruth and Naomi, these seemingly just ordinary people, widows who don't have a lot of hope unless somebody steps in to redeem them them is really about a bigger story that God is telling in the the Old Testament. Look at what happens next. All the people were kind of gathering around watching this. They see the elders gathered, there's Boaz, there's the other relative and they're listening and what's going on and they hear the relative leave, right? I'm not taking her. He leaves the crowd with his sandal off and they see Boaz say, hey, I'll do it. And then the people respond in verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. We saw this. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, if you haven't been with us in this series, you may not know who those names are, but those are really key names in the story that God is writing here. And so the blessing of the people, right, back towards Boaz, Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi is, listen, may God do something bigger here today than what we've seen. Right? May this be more than just a simple story of a widow being taken in and cared for. May God bless you. May he do through you, Boaz, and through your seed what he did through Rachel and Leah. Who are Rachel and Leah? Well, these were the wives of Jacob from whom the 12 sons come to make up what? The 12 tribes of Israel. See, what God did through Jacob and Leah was so much, or through Leah and Rachel was so much bigger than them, wasn't it? Man, it's the, I'm just a mom, having kids and raising kids. And God's like, no, I'm doing something bigger with you. And now this blessing is spoken over Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. May God do the same kind of thing through you. What else does he say? What else did they say? And may the house, may your house, Boaz, be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now he's speaking specifically to the lineage of Christ. When we talked about this last week, David came. He was, Jesus is in David's lineage. 
And Jesus was referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. That phrase is referring to his lineage, his relative connection to Judah himself. You see how big this is? As the people respond with this blessing over Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, may God make you a part of that story. May God do something bigger through you than what this day represents. And so, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Now remember, that son is not Boaz's son. Right, it becomes Naomi and Elimelech's son. The heir of the possessions and the land, the inheritance of Elimelech. And so she, the son was born. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. She cared for him like she, he was her own son. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. Oh, and by the way, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, when you read a story like this, um, it can be confusing. You take a step back and say, well, who's this story about? I mean, I know the book is named Ruth, so we know it's a lot about Ruth, but it's a lot about Naomi. And then you got this Boaz character. I mean, what a gentleman, right? What a man of integrity and kindness. Who's the story about? And I love how it wraps up because what we're reading here is this, that the story really isn't about Naomi or Boaz or Ruth or even Obed or David. This is a story about Jesus himself. Literally, it is a story of the lineage of Jesus, the Christ, right? So in his lineage, we find kings, these key leaders, these these men who did amazing things. And guess what we also find? Prostitutes. Destitute widows, ordinary people like you and I in the trenches of life. And God is saying what? There are no ordinary people. Some of you become more popular than others. Some of your names become right, more known than others, but there is not an ordinary human being. You're all image bearers. And my story of redemption is being written, not just through the key leaders, but through every one of your lives. And so as we take a step back from guys like David and we see how his story is part of the bigger story, we can take a step back from our own lives and see how our little story is part of a bigger redemptive narrative that God is writing. I believe that's why you're here today. God wants to include your story in his story of redemption. There's nothing extraordinary about this situation with Naomi and Ruth. God simply said, I'm gonna use you. And so not only do we have this literal representation of the lineage of Christ and God's redemption, we get this beautiful, beautiful figurative image of what redemption looks like, don't we? Think about the 10 elders in the story. What did they do? Almost nothing, okay? They were simply there to do what? Bear witness. That's all they were there to do, not to make a decision, but to bear witness. And in these 10 elders, we see this reflection of what? God's law is 10 commandments. The 10 commandments can do nothing to save you. 
They're there to bear witness, right? They let you know when you mess up, but they can't fix you. In this story, we see a beautiful image of the church, don't we? And these two widows who desperately need a redeemer, they desperately need somebody to step in, to take them in, to selflessly lay down, right, his life for them. We see a portrait of the church, don't we? It's why God calls us his bride. We are the bride who has been what? Redeemed. Apart from Christ, I'm hopeless. Newsflash, so are you. Why? Because the 10 elders, the 10 commandments stand there to bear witness that you and I are lawbreakers, right? And so we need a redeemer to step in and say, I'll take her. I'll take her. I'll lay my life down selflessly for her. The church, and then in Boaz, we see a beautiful portrait of Jesus, don't we? The selfless redeemer who's kind, who's righteous, selfless, when Boaz is at the gates before the 10 elders, right? We see this portrait of Christ, what? Laying himself down on the cross saying, listen, I'll die for her. If nobody else will, I will. I'll take her. Are you sure you want her? Because she comes with baggage. <laughs> yeah, I want her. We come with baggage, don't we? And Christ says, I'll take you and your baggage. Come to me. I will redeem you. So not only is this a literal part of God's redemptive story, the lineage of Christ unfolding, we see this beautiful portrait of redemption itself and what Christ would do for us when he comes. To perfectly obey the law of God where you and I couldn't and to selflessly lay his life down to pay the price for you and I that you and I couldn't afford to pay. That's what the cross was about. Jesus said, I'm gonna go pay a price for you. I'm gonna lay my life down for you. And then we are left there saying, well, what, what do I need to do then? What do, well, what do I need to do to be, to be one of yours? And Christ says, what? Just come. Just believe. That sounds too simple, I know. Because you've got nothing else to offer. Come and believe and trust in me and you will have what? Eternal life. Did you catch that last phrase here? In verse 15, he shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. What a beautiful foreshadowing of what Christ would do for you and me to give us abundant life in this life and to secure our eternal life. Listen, church, Christ has come to be our kinsman redeemer, to redeem all that was lost. I wanna leave you with this, and I would assume that there are probably two groups of us here today. There are those who are here today who have never taken that step of faith and trusted in Christ and what he's done for you. And I just want you to know my prayer for you is that you would consider taking that step today. Right? We don't want anybody to feel like manipulated into that decision. You've got to see Christ for yourself and take that step of faith just, and, and just simply say, listen, I trust in you and you alone. That is what it means to take a step of salvation. And if that's you here today, I'm going to pray that you would take that step of faith to trust in what Christ has done for you to be your redeemer. Others of us here today are Christians and we, right, we're prone to wonder. We're, we're prone to lose sight we're prone to, to move into complacency and lose our affections for what Christ has done. And I think this is why God tells the story of Christ over and over again through this amazing love story of redemption, that it would kindle our affections for him. Listen, our, our identity as Christians is not simply a, 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 a position in the universe. It is a relationship that we have been drawn into. Our savior is our redeemer, right? 
And that maybe today through the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, your, your affections for Christ would be rekindled. You would see once again the wonder of what Christ has done for you. And so now in our service, what we wanna do is give you a chance to respond um, to any way that God may have spoken to you today. Uh, we'll have prayer partners at the front and the back. Our worship team will come up to lead us in singing. Let's ask for God's Holy Spirit to guide us as we respond now to his word. Um, Father, we thank you, God, for this beautiful reminder of what you've done for us. God, we recognize that in the story of Boaz and Ruth, that Father, we see a portrait of what you've done for us. God, may we be overwhelmed by that fresh and new again today. Father, any person here today who does not know you personally, God, I pray that today would be a day of faith. God, a day to take a step of faith towards Jesus, to trust in him and him alone, to experience the kindness of Christ, the goodness of Christ, the selflessness of Christ. So Father, now we ask for your Holy Spirit to move through this room. You would speak to our hearts that we might respond to you. In Jesus' name.